0: Welcome to Bounce Back Like a Badass, your weekly dose of real and honest conversations about when life gets a little or a lot messy and how to find your way back more humbled, more empowered, more determined, and hopefully with some badass stories to share. Here's your host, Kat Coley. Hey guys, welcome back to Bounce Back Like a Badass. You are listening to episode number five, Behind the Prison Walls. See you in the episode. Hey guys, it's Kat. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. Um, you are listening to episode number five. And as the title says, we are diving into prison walls, both literally and figuratively. <laughs> I, I could laugh about it now uh, because there's been some time has passed between that experience in my life and now, and I can look at it from a totally different perspective and see kind of how all the pieces have fit together. But back then certainly was not a laughing matter. Um, If you have not listened to the previous episodes, what I'm about to talk about might be a little confusing. So I suggest that you do go back and listen to uh, the you know, the first couple of episodes, uh, namely number th- episode number three, uh, which is Fault My Fall from Grace, and I will link that uh, particular episode in the show notes. Go back there, listen to that, and then come back here because we've got some interesting things to talk about. Um, when I first... Started talking about my story and sharing my story through with my clients uh, through some speaking engagements. I knew that this subject was going to be kind of a hot topic. And it was actually uh, at the time when I started to share it um, quite funny because I would get people who would just come right out of the gate and, and you know, that's the first thing that they want to talk about is what was that experience like? You know, give me the visuals, tell me all about it, give me details. And then there were, you know, quite a few that would ask a bunch of questions beforehand. Knowing that they that probably was one of the first questions they wanted to ask, and then kind of in the tail end of it, they would be they would say, You know, oh, well, you know, if you want to share that part of it, you know, do, but if you don't want to, then don't. So I knew that, you know, there's a lot of interest around that, of course, and that's not why I'm sharing it. It's not, again, to you know, to tell all the gory details, but it is quite an important part of what happened. You know, I can't pretend that, you know, that part didn't exist because it did. And I lived through it. And, um, and people are curious about it. And in telling my story, that's, that's part of it. I can't just, you know, kind of um, walk through that, like as if, you know, that was no big deal, because it was. And when I say, you know, this prison wall, figuratively and literally, and figuratively, prior to me going or leaving, uh i created my own little prison and again self-inflicted my own fault not not sitting here you know blaming anybody it was it was my own ordeal my own creation and but prior to i you know leading up to that that part that point in my life i created this wall around me and and my partner at the time because up until the point, actually he found out because he didn't know what had happened before I was let go. Um, I, myself was in this self-made prison because I obviously had this huge secret. I couldn't tell anybody about it. Um, and you know, I just, I lived in, in constant fear and guilt of being found out. And that in itself is, you know, such Oh, it's just an unhealthy way of living, and even more so after it all came out after I was let go and fired and we moved, we didn't tell anybody not you know in the new place that we lived. Some people might have known, but no no one where you know when we moved from a, from one state to the next, no one knew what had happened prior to, and then again, i we had never realized that we were both you know we were going to go through what we went through and it never was and whether that was just because we were naive about the whole thing or we just really honestly didn't think that 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 would happen and because of the assurance of my uh, lawyer that I would get probation and everything had along the way as as I was going back and forth and, and doing all um having to to do all these uh court proceedings not at any point during that time there was just no inclination granted. You know, what I signed it said, you know, that it nothing was ever guaranteed that I wasn't gonna go. Um but it was high probability that I wouldn't. Um and so we just always kind of kept in that space, in that bubble that I wasn't and I was. I would get probation. And, you know, that in itself was going to be, you know, um, you know, not the best scenario. But gosh, you know, obviously greater than, you know, what it what it could have been and or would have been. And so and we just never talked about it. And that was probably obviously, you know just our fault it was just you know this elephant in the room actually it was more than an elephant it was like a t-rex in the room that constantly roared and wanted attention but we just refused to give it any attention and it was like you know ignorance was bliss and um and and we had so many things happening in our lives at the time we just newly got married we had this we just had our baby girl and so you know half of me was like absolutely elated. And, you know, I had this new career that I just absolutely loved. But and half of me was like, you know, trying to live in that moment. And then there was the other half of me, gosh, that was just absolutely scared. And there was this just huge mountain of crap behind me and I just kept suppressing it and suppressing it and suppressing it and I don't know you know for you guys that are out there that are listening if you've ever heard the term that you know when you suppress your emotions and your feelings they manifest into something else and my god they did you know from headaches and ulcers and uh, rashes and just you know other things in my life not just that but you know just just not so great things in my life just because you just if you don't You know, if you don't deal with them and really deal with it and you suppress them and you try to hide it and, you know, I'm sure for those of you in the audience listening, you know, hopefully, you know, you've never had to deal with something like that, but I'm certain that you probably have to deal with something, you know, close to that. Where you just you know you're trying to ignore an elephant in the room, and you just and to ignore it, you have to suppress your emotions and your feelings, and and pretend that everything is okay, and have this you know facade that you know all is great, and and underneath it's not, and and things just manifest out of that. Anyway, so that was kind of the world that you know the prison that that you know I created for me, and I created that you know that's for us, um, and we you know we didn't speak to anybody about it, barely any of our family knew. Um, and you know, a few of our friends knew and that was it. And so when it came time for me to go through the sentencing, um, I was quite confident that everything was going to go as planned that I think I, I even mentioned it in, in one of the earlier episodes when I said that I drove into the court, uh, courthouse, you know, and, parked in four hour valet parking mm-hmm. thinking, surely I'll be out in four hours and but you know I'm gonna just chat as as briefly as I can because obviously this description and and you know talking about the experience in itself you know could take literally days (laughs) to talk about so I'll I'll give you the whole the light the highlights and lowlights of it um and so the day of the sentencing I like I said I drove in And my, you know, my family, the ones that knew about it asked if they wanted me to be there Oh, if if I wanted them to be there, I'm sorry. And I, you know, I said, no, I just was one, I was just too embarrassed for them to be there. I didn't want them to be, you know, kind of looked at and shamed, you know, depending on who was there. And, and, you know, I, I just felt like if I I had gotten myself into this mess on my own, I was going to get myself out of it. And So I told them that I would call them and text them, you know, once I was out. So I walk into the courthouse and I'm going through security and I, you know, look up and I see familiar faces. And at first I was like, gosh, I know those people. It's interesting, you know. Now, mind you, there'd been a couple years now between the time that I was let go and and this and the sentencing procedure. And so, you know, when you know, when you think you know somebody, you know, they look familiar and you're like, gosh, you're trying to place how that you know them and I was like god I I feel like I know them they look quite familiar so it wasn't until I got through the security line and was collecting my stuff that it at that it dawned on me I was like oh shit these are the people from my work oh my god they're here for me and all of a sudden and I don't know why but it was that instant where I was like this is for real like this this is the real deal and it just, for whatever reason, it just felt like I was going through like another court proceedings where no one was present. You know, their attorneys were present at those court proceedings, but no one else from, you know, my previous employee, um, employer uh, was there. This was like, oh God, this is really happening. So anyway, I, you know, there's quite a few of them. And so we go up to the courtroom and my lawyer is late. And again, oh my, I have so much to say about this whole lawyer situation of mine, uh, but that's going to have to come in a much later episode. But in any case, my lawyer was late, so I just kept getting pulled further and further down the, the docket. And so finally, my lawyer comes and he sees, you know, I am freaking out. And so he's trying to reassure me, he's trying to remind me that the Parole and probation department had done this kind of extensive interview, and this is what they do. They do, they interview both sides, and then they have a recommendation for the court, for the judge, on what they think the sentencing uh, should be. And nine times out of ten, the judge will kind of, will trust what they, what the suggestion is. And in this case, it was probation, five-year probation, I think it was. And you know, he was like, you know, that's the key that we're looking for. And this, this, I think the, the actual, um, paperwork for that came like a week or two before sentencing. And we, that's kind of the, that's what we were waiting for. And he was like at the time, and then still, as we're walking in, you know, that was great news. You know, the judge is going to, you know, typically go with what they suggest. And so, he's trying to tell me the things that I should be listening to how I should approach it that the judge is probably going to ask me to you know to to say a few words on my in my defense and and you know the prosecution might say something they might not they might just allow you know what the paper what the um what the court proceedings you know has and then you know they'll maybe say a few things the judge will obviously talk and then a little maybe five minutes before we walk in maybe even less he said you know the the words we are looking for again is a suspended sentence which means it's probation so he's like that's the key word and I said okay so we walk in and when we when because I was we were late um I had to sit in the back there was like an area for where he was at he ended up speaking to somebody else and so I sat in the very back and at the time the whole back row was empty but as it was the door from like the, the back, the side of the courtroom opened and in walks people in handcuffs, basically. So there are people that have court proceedings that are already in jail and they're being escorted in to, you know, to wait for their their turn. And so there's a whole this whole row, which I then have to share with with them because that was the only that was the reserved for them. And they're you know, kind of, they're handcuffed to each other. And then there's a police escort in the front and in the back. And so they're all kind of walking in. And, and again, so surreal because I was like, wow, you know, never even thinking for a second that that, that could possibly be even me. Um, and so they walk in and I distinctly remember just one girl looking straight, kind of kind of looking me in the eye because I was sitting in their row and we just, we just made a brief eye contact and that was it. And I can tell you that there was a lot of those type of things. I don't know if that was just the universe, whatever it was. It was just, there were a lot of those very interesting. Um, it seemed like nothing, but much later on down the road, I I saw the significance of those little instances. And this was one of them, which I will, I will get to um, once I go further into the story. So the judge uh, calls me and I get to the front and the prosecution starts arguing their case. And I was not prepared for that. That's not what my lawyer had said would happen. They, well, he didn't say it wouldn't happen. He just said it. You know, they might say a few words, but they they were building their case because I think obviously they knew what the parole and probation had recommended for my sentencing and they wanted to build their case. And they that's not what they wanted. That's not the outcome they wanted. So they started to build their case. I, you know, had to listen to, you know, their, their whole, uh, spiel. And then the judge asked me to speak. And then I spoke on my behalf and then, you know, taking responsibility, owning up to what I had done. And then the judge spoke and he was not, um, he didn't mince words. Let me put it that way. He, he basically told me exactly how he felt about me. How he felt about the situation and, um, and he, he kept going, and I was trying to pay as much attention as I could, but the whole scene was quite surreal, and I, I will use that word a lot, and if I can find a different word that best describes the situation that I was in, I will, but it was it was very surreal. It felt like I was like in the middle of a tornado. And there was just so many moving parts because when you're in the courtroom, there's just, you know, in a a, a case like or in a courtroom like that where there's there's a lot of cases that need to be to, you know, that that need to be looked at or or. You know, just there's just a lot of people in there that, you know, are, are, it's, you're in and you're out and you're in and you're out. So there's just a lot of things happening and they're not, you know, they don't involve you. So there's just people coming and going, uh, just people, you know, speaking to each other and conversations happening. And there was just a lot of things going on around you. And you're trying to figure out like what you need to pay attention to and who you need to pay attention to and not get distracted. But I certainly was. I was truly looking at the judge trying to as much as I could pay attention to everything he was saying but I was literally looking for you know those words the suspended sentence word and that's basically what I just kept thinking in my head I was like okay I've just got to remember that you know that's that's the words those are the words I'm looking for so in one of those instances where I'm kind of getting distracted by what's in the room I noticed the bailiff like move as the judge was still speaking move from the side of the room to the back of the room. And I don't, again, here's, one of those things again where at the time it didn't seem significant, but it certainly was very significant, um, after. So he moves like to the back of the room and the judge is still speaking. He spoke for quite some time again, certainly did not mince words with me. You know, definitely told me how he felt about me and how he felt about the case and so on and so forth. So, as he's speaking, my, my, I look at my lawyer and he's just writing things down. He's got his head bent down over the desk and he's just, and we're both still standing up and he's writing and he's writing. And then I kind of feel somebody standing behind me. And again, there was other lawyers there. So there was people kind of milling behind where we were at, you know, because maybe they were next in line. And I just figured that was just, that was just another lawyer or, or somebody else. And so finally, just the, it felt like it was kind of getting into my personal space. And I remember looking up over my shoulder, to the like, over my right shoulder, and there was the bailiff that had just moved from the side of the room to the back of the room and eventually had made his way behind me. And I didn't realize that he had done that. And so it just, again, felt strange. And I just kept looking at him and I kept looking at the judge and I kept thinking, what is he? what's he doing back there? And... As the judge was ending his spiel and he never said the actual words I was looking for, which was the suspended sentence, i he basically said, the last thing he said was, I remand you to 19 months in state prison. And that was when I looked well I didn't have to look behind me but I heard this looming voice behind me that said you know please drop your purse and at the time my my purse was on my right shoulder and I was like excuse me and I again confused and he's like drop your purse and I kept looking and then I looked at my lawyer and there was kind of this buzz in the in the in the um courtroom and I didn't know if it was the buzz was for me. I, I just, I didn't know. And I look at my lawyer and all he's, lo- he looks at me and says, I'm sorry. And I said, what do you mean you're sorry? And he's like, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And those were the words he just kept repeating over and over again. And then he's like, I'll call your husband. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I was like, what is going on? I was like, please, someone tell me what is going on. And so I remember the bailiff kicking my purse to the, uh, to the right and again, so it felt like everything was happening quickly, but also in slow motion. If that, if that's, if you can, if that makes any sense, it just felt like there was just like this literally like a tornado, um, happening and it just, everything's was, I could see, I could see and hear the details, but I just, I couldn't place anything. And so the bailiff, um, once he kicked my purse over and away from me he asked me to put my hands behind my back and I just I was in shock and so I kind of slowly put my hands behind my back and then he handcuffed me and there were other proceedings happening so I was walked back so as my purse is still on the floor um and I was, the bailiff walks me back to the back of the court and sat me back to where I was at. Now I'm sitting down in that line of people that had just come from the jail. And I'm shocked, of course. And then I see people from my, my employee, my, my, my old employee, uh, employer walking out and looking at me and shaking their head. Like just in one, I'm sure they were, I, I don't know what the feeling was. I mean, obviously they made, they were happy that. I didn't get the probation. Um, I don't know if they were sad for me. I don't know. I just I just remember them kind of walking out, all each of them. A couple of actually couldn't make eye contact, but a couple of the ladies um, that I said had looked familiar looked at me and just shook their head. One kind of smiled, and I'm sure it was maybe they were sad. I don't know. I'll, I'll make believe they were sad for me. <laughs> uh, so they were, they were walking out, and... My lawyer had already walked out. And so I was like, what just happened? And as I'm like, kind of scanning the room for like, somebody to like tell me what was going on, I kind of, I, I looked to my left in that row of people and the girl that I had made eye contact with when, they, when she first walked in and I was sitting on that bench, looked at me and said, I'm sorry. And then she said, you'll be okay. And she mouthed those and I, I understood her or read it, or read her or heard her perfectly. And I, I again, I, I still remember it today as she said it. And that is, was what I, the comfort I needed at the time. And, but I just sat there and I kept going through. So they still had all these um, proceedings to go through and so I sat in the back handcuffed on the on this bench, and then they again they I don't know how many more they had um, but it, it felt like I was in there forever so at the end, they broke for I don't know what a lunch or a break or something, and everyone basically leaves the courtroom, and the people that were sitting on the same bench as I was were all let out by the, uh, the you know the back into the the jail and everyone's leaving the judge's excuse and everyone walks walks out after the judge is, is walks out the back door everyone starts piling out the front door and the, the people that were from the jail start you know piling out the left the side door and literally I was the only person in the courtroom left and I kept thinking did someone forget me does this mean I get to go? Was this a big joke? I mean, it, it, I I was in the courtroom handcuffs, sitting on a bench by myself for possibly like five minutes. And I contemplated. <laughs> I contemplated running out of that room. I honestly, truly did. And I, because I kept thinking, someone has forgotten me. No one's going to return from me. And Do I just need to walk out the door? I don't, I didn't understand it. As I was contemplating my escape, (laughs) um, the bailiff came back and grabbed my purse, which was still on the floor and said, you know, I need you to get up and follow me. And he leads me out, you know, I was hoping he would lead me out the front, but he doesn't. He leads me out the side door. It was like a secret side door um which is where the people that had come in and out from the jail um came from. And so that's when I was like, okay, this is for real. This is another for real situation here. So he's carrying my purse, we're walking out. Um I'm handcuffed and we're wa- now we we walk down this very long narrow hallway uh passing a, a couple officers here and there and i he knows i'm in shock and he for the first time i he, he looked at me and said i'm i'm sorry he's like and i said well, i'm like what for and he said you know that you have to go through this he's like it's i understand you have a daughter so the bailiff actually knows ahead of time what's going to happen or what you know what decision the judge is going to make that's why He had already moved behind me. So he did in this situation knew a lot of, not a lot, but enough about my situation. And he said, well, he's like, the good thing is, you know, you probably only do the 19 months. So my sentence was 19 to 48 months. So I could do a minimum of 19 months all the way up to 48 months. And I looked at him and I said, 19 months? And he said, yeah, he's like, you, you'd you have to do the minimum. He's like, and that's, you know, because of what you signed and your plea agreement, you have to do the minimum. And I kept thinking, 19, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom like this 19 months, because 19 months at the time, that day seemed like 19 years. So I was, I again was shocked. And so I was led through the back hallways down to where the jail was at. I was then um, fingerprinted and the whole deal. So like I had to get fingerprinted. I had my photo taken that whole, I you know, the whole photo thing. It obviously it all happens. Um, again, I'm, I'm just like, I, I couldn't, believe it was still happening. Like I just I felt like I was just going to wake up from the dream, someone was going to come in and they were um going to tell me there was a huge mistake and that they had read the wrong, you know, the wrong sentencing and I was free to go. So there was a part where I they allowed me to look at my phone, not send any messages or make any phone calls, but to look at my phone to get three phone numbers. Um and I'm, you know, shaking as I'm, you know, trying to write down my husband's phone number, um, my sister's phone number, and my lawyer's phone number. Those were the three numbers I had written. I, had to, I tried to quickly write down, but I was shaking so hard. I was crying. I just was. It was just a very emotional time. Then I had to give up, um, like my wedding ring, uh, any jewelry I had on me, um, any of those things. I had to give up, and so that someone could pick up my my stuff um and so then I after I was processed I fingerprinted and photo and everything I was able to make a phone call and I just remember I called my lawyer first because I was like what the fuck what happened And he basically said, I'm, you know, again, that's all he could say was, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize it was going to go that way. It seemed like the judge had already made up his mind. You know, the prosecution made a good, you know, a good case. And I was like, and I can, again, I, I will have another episode about this. I was like, you didn't say anything. You didn't say anything in my defense. Um, All he just kept acknowledging when he was able to speak, when he was allowed to speak in the courtroom, was he just acknowledged what I had done, but never, you know, there was never nothing in my defense. Like I had to speak in my defense. And that was when, you know, I was speaking to the judge. So I was like, I, you know, I was mortified. I was like, what, you know, what do I do? And he's, I said, you know, can, can I get another case? Can I get, and he's like, no, it's like, this is, it's a pretty done deal, I'm like, "What do you mean it's a pretty done deal?" I'm like, "I I've a I have, I'm like, I have a baby girl. I'm like that's going to be that's turning 1 in a month." I'm like, "I have a husband, a job." I'm like, "What what do you mean this is a done deal?" And I'm just I'm crying, and then I said, "You know, you've got to call my husband." Um and then he then phones, he he hangs up phones. Um, My husband, I call my sister and I don't, I don't even recall if I ended up speaking to my sister then. I just recall then um, shortly thereafter calling my husband and um, just crying, just both of us crying and basically saying, you know, what, how do we do this? What do we do? And I'm like, we, there's got to be an appeal. There's got to be someone that we can appeal to. There's just got to be something else. And I hung up the phone And I remember just sitting in these kind of row of chairs waiting to go to the jail cell. So it was just kind of in an open area where everyone just kind of comes in to get processed and they had brought food in and I was like, no food, not eating. And then um, we go through, then I am put in a cell and I was then led into a, um, I'm still in my clothes and then I'm led into a um a cell that kind of holds I don't know there was like maybe a couple dozen people and I remember laying on the bench kind of looking around and seeing listening scared as shit I was scared I don't you know it's probably one of the times in my life where I was truly scared I I was trying to not cry. I was trying to not show any emotions, but gosh, it wasn't even deep down. It was quite on the surface. I was scared. Um, you know, never had I been in that situation. Never had I um been hopeless or feeling of 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 being hopeless, and I certainly was feeling hopeless at that point. And so the process, I, I believe I was there for maybe a day inside the jail cell. Before then, we were moved to another portion of this, the jail, uh, which housed, um, like they had an A and B tower. And in that was like this, it's like a big room with just beds in it. Um, so we left the jail cell, and moved into these tower cells, I guess you could say. And there was maybe fifty or so, maybe more, maybe a hundred beds could it could be more it could have been more just rows and rows of beds and there's there were phones in the back, and you could do like video calls on the left hand side of the room. It was pretty big, it was like a a event hall, basically it looked like, and then there was an outdoor area. Uh, and we're pretty high up. So we're actually, it's like a tower, you know, in in the city or in the in the jail. Um, and you couldn't, you could only see the sky. So there's like an outdoor area. And then there was like this huge wall, like a 12-foot wall. Um, and then they had like a fenced um, area that was open and you could see the sky. And that was the only piece of outdoor side that I could actually see and so in I was in that jail for in that tower jail for two weeks and the first night there we um we had to then change into the the jail clothing which was I think it was orange or maybe it was blue no, I can't even remember <laughs> um, and you ate at the, at the times that they, you know, allotted you to eat. So, um, you ate at like breakfast at like 5 AM. And if you chose not to eat breakfast, you would just not eat. Um, so they wake you up and they bring in the food inside the, the room and you're kind of excused to eat per row. Um, the officers there, were not the kindest and I get it I understand why they why they weren't so kind some were kinder than others but the treatment was definitely you were lower much much lower so um, and it was probably you know the kind of the first inkling of what it was going to be like for me in prison at that time and so I did video calls I, you know, I spoke to my husband and my sister as often as I could. Um, so we had these, we had breaks, you could, you know, you, you, you had to, there's lights out I don't even remember what time lights out was, but then you kind of had breaks throughout the day. Um, and you could only do so many things in this room. You could go outside and, you know, run around in circles if you wanted. Um, I think some people, you know, played games, um, read books, people spoke on the phone a lot. Um, I laid in bed a lot, staring at the ceiling, and wondering when this nightmare was going to be over, not realizing the nightmare was just beginning. And so after about two weeks at this facility, I was um, moved to the state prison. And you're woken up at like, an ungodly hour of like two o'clock in the morning and then you're based and then you are taken from and I, I knew at some point I was you know I was going to go I kept hoping <laughs> I really really kept hoping someone was going to walk in the, the door and say you know oh cat never mind we made a huge mistake you can go home and I was gonna be like you know what I'll forgive you for these past two weeks I'll you know I'll deal with it thank you and, um, and so that ne- never happened. So I will say that again, it was such a humbling experience. This whole situation was a humbling experience. The whole, ex- this, you know, circumstance was a humbling experience. And I met people from all walks of life and who've done horrible things, um, who've done the same crime that I had done, who'd done more, who done less, you know lots of d u i s and drug um offenses and but humbling in the fact that um, we were all kind of one in the same there was just we were all just one in the same. We were in the same place um at the same time, and there were more people trying to lift each other up in there than any place that I'd ever been in um or been part of outside of maybe like a you know religious center or anything like that um because new people were coming in and people were leaving and people were being transferred and people were going from here and there and have court proceedings and and in those two weeks you kind of get to know the people around you you know you kind of don't really have a choice um one day and this is getting quite long and I'm, I've, I've, I've only just begun. This is getting quite long. So I'll, I'll, I'll try to make this other parts quicker here. But one day there was this lady and I want to say her name was Natalie and, or Natalia. And we only went by first names. No one, we just, I I went by my full name. I never went by Cat. Not once in this entire time I was I was away did I ever go by my my nickname. And it was because of this Natalie or Natalia. So there's this she was probably in her mid 40s, early 50s, and she was waiting to be extradited to Texas. And she didn't speak to me for, like for the first week. She was she was like across the the bed from me, so like a little my bed, a little walkway, and then her bed. And was, she was like kind of kitty cornered to my bed. And she'd been smiling at me and 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 stuff. You know, I was very depressed for obvious reasons. Um, and I I barely ate. I just you know just couldn't think of anything other than the situation I was in and feeling quite horrible for myself and and you know. And obviously, just not there fully. And one day, she came up to me while I was in line, maybe looking for a book, because they had, you know, kind of rows and rows of all kinds of books that you can read. And she said, you know, what are you, are you being, where are you, are you being transferred? And that, (laughs) you'll get to... Once you're in this whole situation, you, you get to know the lingo of things. And I, at first, I didn't understand any of the lingo, of course. Never been around it before in my life. So, you know, I didn't understand it. And so after a couple of weeks, or you know even just a week there, you pick up on what everyone, you know, what the lingo is. And so she asked, you know, are you being transferred? And that meant, you know, are you going somewhere outside of, which obviously means you're going somewhere. But this meaning, being transferred means that you're going to state prison. And, um... Because that was, like, the ultimate, like, holy shit, you're going to state prison. And I said, yes. And she said, have you? And she's like, I'm, I'm presuming you've never been. He's like, I, she's like, I probably presume you've never been in jail before. I said, never been in jail. Certainly never been in prison. And she said, okay. She said, um, she, gives, she gave me a little bit of background not, of, about her. And that's why I knew she was waiting to be extradited to Texas for another crime. Yet she had it. So I, I really, should I believe this lady? I don't know. I just, again, it's just one of those things where people put, were put in my path to help me. Um, and at the time it didn't seem like it was going to be a lot of help or, or I, I, I would know what the, the significance of meeting her or crossing paths with her would, 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 um, would, you know, what, what, what would happen or that it would help me. But, you know, at the time it just, it seemed like it was just conversation. And, She said, I'm just going to give you some pointers. I'm just going to give you some advice. Take it, leave it up to you, but take it from someone who's been down the road that you're going to walk down. Here's my advice for you. And that's when she said, don't use your real, you know, you you obviously don't use your uh, uh, nickname. Um, If you want to create a whole new name for you, this is the time to do it. Cause no one there is really going to know what your first name is. I think you maybe, I think it was like, this is your last name or just actually just your number. Uh, once you got into the prison, she's like, so if you don't feel like it, you don't have to. She said, um, keep to yourself, make people think that you belong there. Even if you feel like you don't belong there, uh, basically don't show any weakness, and she said, "If there was ever any part of you that was like a total, total bitch, <laughs> or um, or anything like that, she's like, this is the time for that person to come out, and this is the time for that side of your persona to kind of be seen." Um. So she said, "You know, just keep to yourself. If you want to make friends, make friends." Um, choose your friends wisely or don't choose any friends at all. Um, and then she basically said, you know, in keeping, she, there's like a library in these facilities and she's like, just go in there and just read and keep to yourself. You know, they have a gym, you know, she's like, for, you know, for lack of a better word, whatever it has, gym equipment in it, you can call it a gym. She's like, just focus on you. This is the only time that, you know, in your life where you're going to be kind of in solitude. She's like, focus on you. Whatever you have to do, focus on you. Do not focus on anybody else. Do not give your time or energy on anybody else. Make up a new name. Make up a new persona. You are, you can be somebody totally different. She's like, not in a bad way, but... She's like that's my advice for you. That's how you're going to survive this. That's how you're going to walk out of it with your you know with you know not not in a depressed state. Um and she's like so that's what I would do. If I were you those and I was like I just looked at her like a deer in a headlights because I was like oh my god, like this is going to happen. I'm going I'm going to go in. I'm going to go there. And funny enough the next day she was gone so when you are transferred they wake you they take you um they take you <laughs> they transfer you in the middle of the night or they you know they trans they get you out of that the, the where you're at and transfer you out in the middle of the night so it's not cause commotion and just just less people around so I woke up the next day and her bed was empty and so, you know, her advice for me came at exactly the right time. And and unfortunately, when you're in there, you don't know the date that they're you're gonna be transferred. You're just giving a rough date of like in a couple weeks. And that that's basically it. You just don't know. And so a week later was when I was transferred out of there. And again, woken up at like two o'clock in the morning and um We go down to where we initially came through, in where we were in the cell, um, with you know how a couple dozen people. On the first night, I was there, and then from there you're processed. And there was a time again. This is another one of those things where there was a time where I, right before we were being loaded, out of a rug into the bus. And they had, like, all your stuff in these huge, like, paper bags with your name on it. And I didn't see my name. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God, this is it. Like, this is the time they're going to realize they've made a huge mistake because I don't see my name in any of those bags. And I was so excited, guys. I was so excited because I was, like, deep down, I'm like, oh, my God. You know, I've spent two weeks here you know, I, I, that's enough. And they realize that they've made a mistake and, you know, they don't have my name. So they're calling you by the bags that's there. And so, um, they get to the end and I'm still sitting there and they ask me what my name was. And so I give it to them and I'm like, Oh gosh, this is it. They're going to be like, the officer is going to come out from the back, you know, unlock. Cause I was, when you're down there, um, you know, you're, you're handcuffed. And I unlock my handcuffs, and I'm just gonna bolt out the door. And I don't care what's out there, who's out there waiting for me, or nobody's out there waiting for me. I'll find my way home. And I was like, this is it. And so they asked for my name, and it takes them about like five minutes. And they come out, and the first officer that I see doesn't have a bag. And I'm like, oh my god, this is it! So excited. And then he moves over to the side, and he actually wasn't coming for me, he was just, he just happened to be walking in front of the officer that actually had the bag, he walks over to, you know, he walks to the left of the, the door, and then the officer behind him was carrying a bag that had my name on it, and I was like, oh, fuck, well, okay, I guess I'm not leaving today, so I get onto the bus, and we, when when you're loaded into the bus, and whilst you're on the bus, you're handcuffed and you're also shackled in your ankles. And that for me, and probably till this day, as, as I'm actually even talking about it right now, was one of the hardest days. And I don't know why, because I guess at that point, I'd, I'd been handcuffed a couple of times already, um, that the, sh- the ankle shackle was like the hardest and then you're loaded onto the bus and the bus is one of those buses maybe you all have seen it um but it has like the the like the fencing around on the windows um you know so that obviously if it something were to happen you I wouldn't be able to escape and the drive from the jail to the prison was probably like a 45 minutes to an hour and if I could have thrown up, I probably would have um, several times over. And I remember crying at the time. I had not tried to shed any tear in front of anybody um, because that just showed weakness, in my opinion. And so it, it would be at night that I would, you know, cry, and or any time I was, you know, by myself, which was hardly any time at all. So I just you know kept a lot of those emotions in, but in that bus sitting on that bus being driven to this the prison, I just cried it just It just felt like life was over at that point for me, and then I kept thinking about my daughter and my husband and my family and our friends and and just everything. It just kind of like fell apart for me right there and I didn't care if anyone saw me cry because everyone kind of puts up a front regardless of, you know, how many times they've been, if they've never been, if, you know, whatever their situation was, everyone puts up a front. Um, Some people had been a couple of times already. So to them, this was, you know, nothing new. And some others you could tell were, you know, shell shocked as I was but i don't i didn't I don't recall seeing anyone else crying, so I didn't care it was it was a a devastating time, and it was once again I'll use that word surreal and it just felt like I was in kind of an out of body experience. Here I was on this prison bus being <laughs> driven to prison and shackled and handcuffed and just looking around and thinking, oh my God, how did it get here? How did I get here? How did, how did it all get here? And it was just the lowest point I'd ever felt, um, in my life. And it just, it seemed again, absolutely hopeless. And so we drive up to the prison and it's, it's, pretty much exactly what you probably you know have seen in movies and tv shows so you know you've got the barbed wire um you know there's officers and uh security detail like at every corner and it's in a bleak place and just it kind of blends in with the scenery and um kind of in the middle of nowhere and just out of the blue there's just you know this this Building or several buildings, actually, with you know, huge fencing around it with the wiring all around, and it's it's all obviously gated. And you drive up, and it's you know, it's 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 quite jarring, and you are led out, and again, still you know, handcuffed and shackled and everything. And so, you walk in, you've got you're kind of carrying your own personal. Um, little baggie with you that you've you know that you have you know all your personal stuff if you want to call it that, um, and the gates open and you're, you're driven in and then you you get out and then there's kind of this ramp that you have to walk up, and uh, it's like a it's like the holding area for for, for the prison basically so that these doors roll up and you're led in into a different room and. That, for me, again, was just another, like, surreal moment after another. I just, I felt like, you know, the bus ride there was, like, the most devastating. And then getting off the bus ride was, like, another devastating. And then walking up the ramp was just, like, it was just, like, these series of devastating events that just kind of led down this, like, holy crap, you know, life as I knew it was over. And so you, you go into this, to this area um, where you are, um, you have to be processed again. So now again, we were, I was processed in the jail system. Now I have to be processed in this prison system and the prison system takes forever. Um, So I think we were in that area pretty much the entire day. So in this like holding area again for the entire day. And I will, you know, I I noticed, I said that it was, this was the prison wall part one, because there's just no way that I could fit all of this in into even, I'm trying to keep it under an hour episode. Um, So I'll have to do part two next week. Um, And just because, you know, that there's just a whole behind this actual prison wall is like, it's, it's a whole other segment. And but I will, here's kind of the part where I will tell you, um, where there's like synchronicities in, in everything that happened. So, when I, um, so in this bus, there was probably a couple of dozen people um, that I, I, I was transferred from the jail to the prison t- uh, with. And most of them, some of them looked familiar because they were in the same tower as I was in or in the same area I was in, and some people did not. And uh, so it wasn't being, you know, when we were being transferred over wasn't really paying much attention to anyone around me it was just kind of focused in on myself and my inner thoughts of course were not good um, but just focusing in on myself and not not really paying too much attention to anybody else and so when you go into the prison you are segregated from everybody for a, a period of time where you are in a cell by yourself um, or with actually with another person I, I think it depends on your crime honestly like if you're going to be like in isolation by yourself or with somebody else but maximum of two people basically in a cell and if you remember (laughs) the girl from when I was first sentenced the one that mouthed I'm so sorry and you're going to be okay just happened to end up being the person that I was put in the cell with so again if you believe in people crossing your paths um, and the universe or whatever you believe in, God, source, universe, whatever that it is that you believe in, um, putting people in your life at the right place at the right time, regardless of, you know, what part of your life that is, I would say this was probably one of them because um, this girl had been, um, down this road a couple of times, maybe I will even say a few times. And being with her in that cell, and we were in the cell by ourselves for three weeks. Um, and again, I'll in part two, I will tell more about what that entailed, uh, allowed me to get honest feedback, on what it was going to be like for me because she had already gone through. Again, I met that girl, Natalie Natalia, in jail, and she gave me some pointers. And then I met this girl who I just so happened to look up at the right time for her to mouth to me that I was going to be okay. And she just out of the hundreds of people, when I say there was hundreds of people, there were hundreds of people in that jail, um, I end up being transferred with her And we end up to be in the same room, or (laughs) I say room, (laughs) it's actually a cell. And um, she taught me a lot, she honestly taught me a lot. And it was, you know, by divine timing, um, divine intervention, that she became my cellmate for the first three weeks I was there. And again, I will go into much more of that and what it was like to actually be in there, and the process and and from the time I was in prison, which was not long compared to every you know to to others, um, and then where I transitioned to several a couple times thereafter. So, I will leave it at that. Um, a lot of inner workings, a lot of things that I had to do. Um, while I was there, um, just a lot of working with my mind and, and and a lot of these things I didn't realize, you know, I had to do just because I was, I was, you know, I was just in a position where I felt I was distraught. I was depressed and, you know, I, I was in prison and, you know, there was no, at the time, to- at the time there was no, no silver lining, no, no light at the end of the tunnel, It just seemed absolutely hopeless. Um, But there were times and that there was hope and that there was a light at the end of the tunnel. And I will talk about that um, when we get to part two, which is next week. So um, with that, I will leave you all with just that thought. Um, You know, it seemed like the end of the world and it seemed like my life was over and it seemed like that for a very long time. But as you could see now, it's not. Um, there was silver linings everywhere. There was hope everywhere. Um, I could find something to be grateful for even while I was away. And there was a lot of things. And I, I had to look and I had to dig deep. But there was a lot of things to be grateful for. And there still is. I and mean, there's so many amazing things that I, I am grateful for now. And I can tell you that any time now that I am in a position where things I'm I'm you know pushed back up, up against the wall, you know because things happen in life that again are out of my control, and I will go back to that time and think, you know I survived that. I, if I could find the silver linings in that situation, I can find it in this as well, and it it's not the end of the world, and that makes me honestly breathe easier because I know I. I'm a survivor. I, I will survive it. And, um, and I will leave it at that. So I will see you guys in next week's episode. Uh, so I'm sorry I had you know, other... Um, I didn't know, I figure out my, the numbering of my episodes um, as far as when I was going to do int- start uh, doing the uh, interviews and start putting those on the episodes. So it, it will be in like two weeks' time. Um, from now that the uh, our interview uh, segment of the podcast will begin. Um, and then I will continue on with this story because uh, I want to share it. And uh, there are people out there that have uh, have interest in hearing it. So I will continue sharing. I will talk to you guys next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Hopefully, we can stay connected, and you can follow me on Instagram at kat Coley coach or my Facebook page at kat Coley coach, Or you can email me at any time at cat at Coley.com. Or if you'd love to hear more about my services or more podcast episodes or anything in between, check out my website, catcoly.com. Again, Thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here and I will chat with you next time.